Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between. I hope you're all right, and welcome back to the Stu Simpson Show podcast. Today's special guest, we have Mark Block. He's a very, very, very lovely old, not old friend. He's an old friend of mine. He's not old himself. Anyway, he's marvellous, <laughs> and we love him to pieces. Uh, and he's a folk song- singer and a songwriter and a performer in general. Hello, Mark. How are you today? Hello, Stu. I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for it's coming nice on the show. Here. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, so what have you been up to recently? Well, I mean, like everyone else, I've been locked down. Um, so, as you know, my main uh, my main job is uh, doing music in healthcare. Um, and so I've been doing some of that by Zoom and by FaceTime, which is the only way I've been able to continue doing it, basically. So that's that's been interesting. It's been a very interesting experience, um, and it works to up to a point. I was when the first when the lockdown first came, and I everyone was doing their work remotely. I was thinking, well, there's no way this work can work. You know, normally I'm in hospital wards and in care homes and very close to people, and you know, very much um, present with them to make music with them. So that's your... um, and I thought I thought doing it remotely wouldn't work, but um, I was funded by the Arts Council. Thank you very much, Arts Council, to do um, to do a pilot project to see if it would work, and it it did work. So uh, somebody um, on the ward goes around with an iPad, and I, so I do it one to one. So somebody's seeing me on an iPad screen and hearing me through headphones. So and, was the, uh, what was the process of um, applying for an Arts Council grant for to help with that? Well, they had um, they uh, an emergency fund um when covid first came along and so i just applied for that and they waived some of their rules like you didn't have to have a 10 percent um, funding from elsewhere and things like that and they they sped up the application procedure and stuff so it was uh, it was actually a very straightforward application it's by arts council standards so excellent because they're normally really quite complicated and paid. they can be yeah it depends on how much you're asking for but um, yeah and these were only small they were just small grants but uh, excellent yeah. So that job, because I know you through doing folk music and through yes. um, our lovely friend Roy, that's how we uh, initially Indeed. met. Um, so, but your main job seems to be about communicating with um, elderly people, is that correct? Through music? Yes. Yeah, I mean, not exclusively elderly people, but that's, that's my main sort of client group that I work with. And yeah, it's all, it's very much about the connection that we make. I mean, there's all sorts of claims, um, uh, many of them true, of course, that music <clears throat> will improve health, uh, that music will lower blood pressure and reduce stress and all of those kind of things. But the, the, the main aim is not therapeutic. It's not, I'm not a music therapist. The main aim is just to have a cultural interaction with people. And um, yeah, as I say, it's all about the connection. It's about um <sighs> Helping, I mean, in many cases, because I work with people with dementia sometimes, in many cases about helping people to reconnect with themselves, um, connecting to old, you know, to memories. Um, and it's it can be very, very successful, very effective and impactful in many ways with people with dementia. How, um, how did you get into that? Um, well, so through through being a folk singer, in fact, there's, um, there's a wonderful fiddler and singer called Sarah Matthews, who's in a group called Opus and various other um, projects as well. Um, she's someone I knew from the local folk scene around Nottingham and Derby. 
and uh, she works with a, a group called Opus who uh, have been doing this kind of work for years and um, who train people as well. And so I, I went along and I, I saw an ad that Sarah had put on Facebook about the training and thought, oh, that's for me because I was working as a nurse and I wanted to no longer be working as a nurse. <laughs> and it worked out very well, really. So I went and did this training. They did a five-day course and then they were that year, fortunately, they were also then offering... Um, an apprenticeship, which I was able to get onto and worked alongside Opus musicians for a whole year, for a day a week, learning the techniques and learning alongside them, actually doing the practice in hospitals. And that was with children, but obviously the skills are transferable. And um, so um, then, yeah, me and another apprentice set up a community interest company and got going and the rest is history, as they say. That was six years ago. And now I work on my own and uh, it's going well, other than not being able to go and do it <laughs> in person. <laughs> it's it's going very well. Combined uh, your a lot of your past through your love of folk music and the folk world and also the training that you had as a nurse, it sounds like those two worlds have come together. Is that, mm. is that correct? Well, absolutely, yes. It seemed to be like the ideal combination, really. And uh, in fact, Sarah said to me when, when they got my application, um, and she saw that I was a nurse. She said, oh, and you would like to, you were straight to the top of the pile when we saw that, because they obviously they recognized that that would be that would be really useful. And yeah, it means that I'm very, very comfortable on hospital wards. I know I've been on many, many hospital wards and like it's particularly as a student, you know, you go to lots of different places as a, as a new person and you learn to settle in very quickly. And so I'm, you know. I have that level of comfort on a hospital ward. I notice things that other people might not notice. Um, and in fact, I had to, in the early times, I had to kind of make a conscious effort to switch off my my nursing side <laughs> and kind of recognise that, no, that's not what I'm here for. Mm. I'm it's, here to be a musician. So. It's, a, it's a very different thing from uh, performing in front of a, an audience uh, mm. than, than performing one-on-one -on -one with someone. It is. Yeah. It's, but I mean, over the years, I've, done a lot of performing to very small audiences <laughs> I don't just mean in venues where only three people have turned up to see my gigs although you know I've had plenty of We've <laughs> all been there. I've always enjoyed well of course yes I mean I've always enjoyed playing uh, like in people's living rooms or um, people's barbecues or bonfires campfires um, and small intimate settings like that um, and I think I've really honed um, kind of an ability to to be present and feeling what's happening in the moment and what's an appropriate song to sing in that moment. Um, How would you give so, that? Uh, intuition. It really is an awful lot on intuition. Um, yeah. And I mean, I remember a lot of early days of being, for example, at a, at a bonfire or campfire or something and, um, and really, you know, not although knowing what repertoire I had and I would think of a song and then think mm, that's not quite right for, for right now. Um, and then sometimes struggle to find what was the right song for now, unless people ask me for a specific song. Um, that makes it easier. I go, yeah, of course, I'll do that if I can do it or something similar. Um, so uh, it's really, yeah, it's really based on intuition a lot. Sometimes it's through conversations. um, Sometimes somebody will say, if somebody says something that's a part of a line from a song, then I'll sing that song, if I know it, of course. Um, but I have, you know, I have 
um, hugely expanded my repertoire. Well, you do have a huge repertoire, so I've heard. I have a very large one, Stu, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and doing the um, doing the remote work and not having to rely on stuff that's in my memory has opened it up even more. So I, have, I can have a, a music stand and a book beside me, which obviously I don't when I'm wandering around a hospital ward. And so there's even more songs that I can do from the sheet that I don't have in my memory. So, so um, what would you prefer? Do you prefer playing to audiences at, um, in clubs and festivals, or would you prefer working one-to-one -one with the... Or is that just a different well, thing? It's, I suppose they're different things. I really do like them both very much. I mean, if somebody... If, if, if suddenly I was to become massively successful as a folk singer and be, was playing to huge audiences um, and making a good living from that... I think I would still want to do the hospital work because um, it's just, it's very, very rewarding. And, you know, I, as I said, it's about making connections and it's not only the patients who benefit from that connection. I do too. You know, there are lots of, if, if I've had a, an interaction with somebody where they've been really enjoying it and we've had conversation about <clears throat> songs or singers that we both appreciate or about anything at all that we you know that we we relate together on um and people are very very grateful and stuff like that and that's incredibly nourishing to me as but, a performer maybe maybe more so than having hundreds of people applauding mm, it's, it's, i think it's probably a very different experience and that mm. yeah it's all because it is all about connection but i think one of them could be more about ego um mm. when, it, when it comes to sort of like yeah yeah. I think that's yes, that's probably a part of it, isn't it? Yes, that having having an adoring crowd clapping and cheering. Not that I've had massive crowds doing that very much for me, um, but I've been, as you, you know, as you know, I've worked with Roy Bailey and been, you know, been part of the performance on stage that's been applauded, even though it was Roy really that they were they were loving. Um, but yeah, that's an amazing feeling and. Yes, it kind of it is because it, it does stoke your ego, I suppose, quite a lot. Whereas the hospital work they do maybe is more for the heart than the ego. So I'm, I'm just kind of giggling at myself because I can hear in the background you, you've got a workman in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was wondering whether that was coming through or not, and I apologise right. for that. There's nothing it's, I can do about. There's it. nothing you can do about. It. I think that it's it's atmospheric for our listeners at mm. home. So just to explain yes. to the people who are listening, uh, Mark does have their men in right now. <laughs> so uh, converting you... converting my cellar to well, Judaism. It... <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> you should watch if if that's the case. You should watch Stitzel on Netflix. It's marvellous. <laughs> Uh, so where did where did it all start for you? How uh, when you were did you did you always like folk music since you were little? Or is it? Well, I mean, on the folk side, no, that took a while to develop. Um, I mean, I always liked music. My my dad was musical, and my my mum and dad would sing sometimes at family occasions and things. My dad played a guitar and stuff, and so and I always I kind of there was often music around the house, and I grew up with it. And I think I seem to remember from an early age uh, watching Top of the Pops. I would I would think, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be a pop star <laughs> one day. Um, then as a teenager and I started playing the guitar and I was really into the Beatles 15 years after the Beatles um, had happened. But uh, I was slow to catch up. Um, and yeah, again, and still I wanted to be a pop singer. But then there was just me and an acoustic guitar. And so I... Uh, 
yeah, when I was starting to learn more and I started to get into Bob Dylan, Simon and Garfunkel, and those were the kinds of songs that I was learning to play. And so I kind of drifted that way <clears throat> into the folk world. It wasn't, it was quite a, quite a bit later that I really got into more traditional folk um, and started really going to folk clubs. Was it, what, for me, it was about the scene. I, I really like the folk scene in a sense, but mm. in a sense, almost absolute admittance to the world here. I kind of like the scene more than I like the music. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, I it's like... yeah it's very it's very welcoming by by and large and very friendly and accepting mm. yeah it's like a family it is like a family um, and and with, with all families they come with certain qualms and isms mm, um, yes. so i was wondering i mean so how do you identify as a person if i might if you don't mind me asking you quite an open question um what are your pronouns how do you identify and how does that fit in with the world in which you work mm, yes well so my pronouns i don't particularly mind a he she or they i uh, there was a time when i would be really offended if somebody kind of very queenily referred to me as she oh who's she then but uh, actually i've let go of that these days and i think well sometimes i am quite she-ish so pronouns i'm fairly flexible about i define as queer which I find, you know, just more of an umbrella. Um, but if somebody wants to label me as a gay man, then I don't object to that particularly either. Um, and within the folk world, how does that translate? Because mm, it's hard to know. To be perfectly honest, it's hard to know. Um, well, like I was saying just a moment ago, it, by and large, the scene is very welcoming and accepting, and that's wonderful, and I can get up and sing the songs that I sing um, and I've never never faced any overt challenges or criticisms because of that um, in fact you know often people have been quite the reverse and um, but you know there are times when I'm not really sure there are times when I think that there's certain that might be slightly vaguely homophobic um, but they're not going to be overt about it yeah <laughs> so it can be tricky I mean I and when I've challenged people over things like, you know, because some some traditional songs are not that great, um, PC-wise, are they? Um, no. And sometimes I've challenged people over things like that, and um, and they tend to brush them off a bit. Um, there was a song, in fact, well, this wasn't a traditional song at all. It was a song, presumably from the 60s or 70s, um, a song that um, one of the organisers of a folk club sang, in fact. Um, and it, the song used the word pufter in it. And um, and I went to him after and very, very gently, you know, said I was just very surprised that you would sing a song with that word in it. And his response was, oh, well, it's very much a song of its time, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, and I wanted to say, well, yes, but you sang it tonight. <laughs> you should have left it back in its time. Um, and I actually, somebody interrupted us and talked to him, so I didn't actually have the chance to continue that conversation. And uh, I mean, there's been other occasions where somebody said to me that um, that a song that I've written was written from the perspective of a woman. And I said, well, no, that was written from my perspective yes. <laughs> as a gay man. You know? Don't. Um, I think you're very... Brave in your lyricism, and as a song, not just because you don't just do other people's work like Roy did, you write your own songs, mm. and you're very brave in in the your, in your lyrics. Like, um, ah, what's the, the thing? It's the first song on your last album, I think. Uh, mm. My my young man. 
Is that the one? That's yeah. That's the previous album. The previous album, yeah. Because my last album was Fairy Fire, but um, yes, course, in fact, yes. all three, all three of my albums, I've made sure that the first track <laughs> is fairly obvious. <laughs> um, so tell us about Fairy Fire, at least. Uh, yeah. Um, although, just if I could come back to it, I was just about to pick up on another point that you were making about. Please do. My mind goes off in many about directions. being obvious. Oh, it was yeah. Um, yes, I think I kind of I reached. There was a time when I reached a watershed moment about writing openly about those kinds of things because in my in my earlier days I was writing lots of oh poor me um, unrequited love songs for men and it was never obvious that it was a man at all. I would sing. I would sing about you, never about he or she. Um, and it was all very vague and very veiled and obscure and stuff. And uh, I mean, there came a point when there one day I was I was um, I was actually driving and writing a song as I drove. I, when I say writing, I mean I wasn't writing anything as I drove. <laughs> it was kind of happening in my head. Um, and I actually had a, a a dialogue aloud, aloud by myself in my car. It was it was like a line came to me, and I said to myself, "You can't put that line in a song." And I said back to myself, oh, yes, I can. Just watch me. <laughs> I, can, I can say whatever I want to, to say in a song. Um, and that was a real important moment for me. It was like, well, yes, of course, I can absolutely say what I want. It's my song. If people don't like it, that's another matter. But I can say what I like in my own songs. Um, so, um, yeah, to come back to your question about Fairy Fire. Um, yes, yeah, so the album I most recently made, uh, released last year, um, Fairy Fire Dances is a kind of themed album where most of the songs are related to my association with the radical fairies, which is a thing that probably most people won't have heard of. Yes. T tell but, our listeners uh, about the radical fairies. What are the radical well, fairies? Well, yes. Um, I always struggle with this because it's such a broad thing. It's really hard to do, to pin down in just a few words or, or a few sentences, but it's um, it's broadly a, a worldwide um, queer co um co <laughs> what do i mean co conspirator no um co created um community of yeah of people who kind of reject the the norms so we're both re rejecting norms of heteronormativity um but also a lot of the norms of kind of straight white i don't mean straight no i mean white um cis male gay i mean the best uh, one of the examples i can come up with really is that um in the terms of gay liberation people say you know a huge landmark in the uk and in lots of other countries now has been uh, same-sex marriage uh, which is great for the people who want to do that and the radical fairies i feel are more likely to say well yeah that's great and actually we don't want to get married we kind of outside of you know we don't subscribe to that norm that societal norm that couples have to get married you know we might want to form our own relationship structures and things um but basically the radical fairies were kind of broadly pagan although that's not compulsory we're nature loving um eco eco conscious um, and we have gatherings either in um, at the moment we're just doing campsite gatherings without indoor spaces but we quite often gather in uh, places where there are indoor venues as well. And we spend, you know, a few days or a couple of weeks together 
sharing, living in community, sharing our skills and living together and um, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, I turned up just to visit you in um, Featherstone, Featherstone Castle. Castle. You did, yes. And it was, for me, because I, I kind of, I am a spiritual person. I meditate quite a lot and, mm. and, and I was going to be a priest and all that sort of thing. And, but I grew up in a very sort of regimented society. The Catholic churches are very regimented. This is, this is the way things are sort mm. of thing. Um, and when I came to visit you in Featherstone Castle and I was, but I was greeted, one young man said to me, welcome home. Mm. And it really hit me in my heart. It was something very, spe- yeah. I was just like, Okay, that's amazing, but I'm also quite scared. <laughs> so, it's, so it's quite a, it's an immersive thing. And I think if you probably mm. get involved in it, then it can probably become, you could be very involved in that lifestyle and the people. Absolutely, yes. It can become, um, it can become very overwhelming. I mean, a lot of people, uh, their first gatherings, you'll be really quite bowled over by the experience and be absolutely sobbing when it's time to leave and stuff like that. Yeah. But the welcome home thing, yes, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing that we do. And uh, in fact, one of the, one of the American fairies actually has written a song all about that called welcome home. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Somewhere out there on YouTube. Oh, I'll have to have a look. Uh, But when I, you also help organize a festival called Queer Spirit. I do. And, uh, and I, and I came to that, about three years ago, I think it was mm. something like that. Was that the two. last one? Was it two years? Two, nineteen. Whole, yeah, yeah. Lock, I know. Time has become. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's totally irrelevant. It's irrelevant. <laughs> time just mm. doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it's a construct, anyways. But let's just not go there. Um, and for me, that had a, a very similar sort of impact because if I was the friends I was sort of camping next to after eventually found a tent and somewhere to kind of be because that was a whole other like mm. Nicola, Nicola, our friend Nicola forgot to put the poles in the bag. Oh, and, uh, I remember that. Yes. Just yes. A, a drama. Um, so after I found somewhere to sleep and then a neighbour of ours, somebody I know down here said, oh, I've got lots of dresses if you want to wear dresses. I was like, no, I'm wearing tweed and the, the more dresses I see and the more <laughs> naked people, the more layers of tweed I'm putting on. Mm. <laughs> so it's sort of, I was like, God, I'm so uptight. <laughs> it was quite an interest, but I had to leave halfway through the thing because I wasn't dealing with it very well. Mm. It was, and I came and I, I enjoyed it and it was really good. Uh, and it, but I think um, it just showed me, going, wow, I've still got so much work to do. And I think it, these experiences that you, you help put on uh, reopen people up to, to mm. something inside themselves is that an aim that you have it's well i'm not sure it's an aim specifically but it's certainly something that happens yes it's often you know self a voyage of self-discovery for people and i mean i've now been um doing stuff with the radical fairies for 10 years um and it's yeah it's been an amazing journey and it it feels like it yes it always it continues to be a journey of self-discovery um and yeah, people are opened up to experiences that they've never had before. Because um, we're talking about, and in, but oh. in a in a very in a very loving and supportive way most of the time. Because hmm. does the folk world and the, this queer radical fairy world? Because the folk world to me seems, even though it's a loving family network, it seems much more structured 
in the mm. sense of because what I missed from losing my faith in the in the Catholic Church was the structure of that. And so right. you'd, yeah. you'd you'd pray a lot, and then you'd, you'd and you'd go to church every every week. Uh, and I, I sort of and I, I missed having that structure in my life. And mm. folk festivals, you get a little program, you go along, and things are happening. Yoga happens mm. at a certain time, and uh, so that to me also that structure of it seemed to really help. Um, but with the sort of the, it's much more loose, it seems, in the sort of in the queer spirit world. And yeah, yeah, I mean, queer spirit is a festival with a program. Um, which is distinctly different from a, a, a radical fairy gathering, which, I mean, it has, has events and things are put on at certain times, but the timing is often very loose. We do refer to, you know, we say, well, is that two o'clock real time or two o'clock fairy time? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas at Queer Spirit, I think we did, you know, we do try and make it more things stick to the, um, the, the planned schedule because there's so much going on that you need to fit in that's been actually advertised. Um but yeah, in terms of overlap between the kind of fairy queer spirit world and the folk scene, it's the, I think the you know the Venn diagram intersection of that is very small. But there is there is one. The world is there changing, are. it seems. Hmm. Yes. Yes, and I, I suspect that intersection will grow. Certainly, I I finding more. Um, Certainly on the folk scene side of it, I'm noticing more um, diversity of genders, um, especially among the younger generation. There's, um, you know, there's the uh, the Nout as Nout so queer as folk group in on Facebook now that seems to be predominantly younger people um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of non-binary and trans people um, who are in the folk world very much. Um, and you know, doing their best to to queer up the folk world a bit, and um, doing things like a, a non-gendered calling at Kayleys and and those kinds of things. And oh, uh, wow. I didn't even know about that. Oh yes, yes, that's the thing. Rather than we have a line of men and a line of women, and some of which are not you know people who actually belong in those categories, but we're going to pretend that you are. So you know, so it's really just you know line A and line B, although what whatever they call them. I mean, I do. I remember from years and years ago some calling who just said um the taller person and the smaller person <laughs> to, de- to designate the two the two partners of a dance but um so what are your plans for the future now that lockdown is easing and um festivals are slowly trickling back in well um yes i've got i have started to get a couple of gigs coming in i did one um a couple of days ago a local one in nottingham in a little um kind of community garden thing which is again a very small and very much um like I was talking about earlier just playing to a few people and it was very intimate and close um and very lovely where I can actually have a conversation with the people I'm playing to um but I've got another a slightly larger festival there's something called the DH Lawrence festival that happens in September near Nottingham and um I'll be playing for that as part of the we shall overcome stage um I'm going to Towersy festival in uh, the end of August, although I'm actually going as a punter for the first time ever, I'm going to Towsie Festival just with a ticket and just Excellent. to relax and not do any kind of work, which will be I, nice. Yeah, I sort of, I kind of miss those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and as for the hospital work, you know, I've just got to wait and see whether, you know, when 
being able to go into hospital in person opens up again. I have I've done one gig at a care home where I it was a lovely sunny day and I played in their courtyard to people outside, which was allowable. So uh, yeah, I think in terms of that work, that's going to be possibly the slowest thing to open up. Was it nice to be back? Oh, it was beautiful. Yes, it was really really lovely. Yeah, I've got, I've got a gig coming up at the end of the month, and I'm, mm-hmm. uh, it, but it's a whole brand new thing for me. So I don't know how because lockdown changed me, has changed me quite a lot. I think, mm. and I was just wondering, has has it changed you, and will that change that change what you're going to be doing in the future, perhaps? Well, maybe I don't know. One of the things that I've done with the extra time I've had is really expand my repertoire. I've I've been learning lots and lots of new songs of, of other people's songs. It hasn't, um, it hasn't. Um, like many people like yourself, I think it hasn't made me have an expansion of creativity in terms of writing my own new songs. Although I've written, uh, I've written one. Um, so I don't know. I'm wondering whether when I'm back in the folk scene, whether doing more of other people's songs is going to be the thing to do and less trying to focus on my own songs. Um, but I don't really know. I'm just gonna I think what... see how it goes. I think I'm 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 drawn towards the idea of not having a set list of just going on and just deciding each moment after each song finishes, just deciding in that moment what the next song is. I went to see um, Eddie Reader the other day oh, yes. in Nottingham. She did a concert in Nottingham Arboretum, which was beautiful, and she was she was saying that that she seems to not have a set list. She will just. She said she kind of relies on divine inspiration to decide which song to sing next. I can believe um, that with Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> she definitely seems otherworldly. There's, yes. there's something going on there which we just can't see. Yes. So I'm wondering about that approach. Um, and then and to, you know, to throw it open to all the literally dozens of other songs that are not my own songs um, that people may well respond to that, <clears throat> that might seem like the right song in that moment. So I'm interested in experimenting with that, maybe. Oh, I'd like to see that. That would be lovely. Mm. Yeah. I've tried it with um, with open mics that I used to do a few years ago where you'd get three songs and I would do it and like maybe plan the first song and not the second two. Um, but in terms of an actual gig that's like two 45-minute sets or like a festival set or whatever, I've never tried doing that. Those Those sets have always been very much planned and rehearsed. Yeah. So uh, it could be an interesting thing to try. It's I've actually even tried occasionally making up songs in front of live audiences. Ooh, that's, that's very, very scary. It's very scary. <laughs> well, quite a bit fun, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Only, it's, it's only for the um, the foolish and the brave. And I don't, and I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yes. So if people want to hear hear your lovely, marvelous albums and want mm. to get in touch with you, where can they do that? Well. They could go to my website, markblock.co.uk, and that's M-A-R-C-B-L-O-C-K.co.uk, um, where there are details of where to find things. If they want to buy physical CDs, that's a nice place to do it from, directly from me. Um, you can get them from Bandcamp and, of course, downloads and streaming services. All have all of my stuff on as well, so the usual ones. If you're going to listen on Spotify, dear listeners, then maybe put me on repeat and leave it running overnight. <laughs> Every night for the rest of your life. <laughs> and eventually you'll get 20p. Yes. Hooray. 
So yes, yes, I think we are now in agreement on Spotify. Uh, that's just one of those horrible evil things which has to, which just exists within the world and we mm. don't seem to be able to do anything about it because that's the way things have gone. Mm. So. Well, there is there is a musicians' union campaign um, which I'm not involved in or keeping um, tabs on really in, in terms of how it's going, but I know that the MU are trying to campaign to sort out money from streaming because it's just grossly unfair. Yeah, it's not right. The only people who seem to benefit are like people like um, Simon Cowell and Ed Sheeran seems to be doing all right. Yeah, I expect he is. Yes, yes. And, you know, the owners, the record companies and the owners of Spotify and things like that are doing very well out of it. Thank you very much. Exactly. But the little people and the things who aren't sponsored and the people who are just sort of actually at the call face, as it were, of the music scene, they're the ones who are sort of suffering and the ones who need it the most. It's, mm. it's a ridiculous thing. So, yeah. And then you have to go and do another job or many, many other jobs to get mm. by. So, but yes. I'm really glad that actually you, you're putting something back into the universe by doing the work that you do with the people in the hospital. That's a beautiful thing. I've, yeah, I just, I'm very, very lucky that I've been able to get that and to be able to do that as, as my job that earns me money and that I do, you know, I can make a living as a musician and not have to work somewhere else um, that's not as a musician and that drains my energy. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been a very beautiful interview from a, a, a very beautiful soul. It's, oh, uh, thank you, Stu. It's look, been a real pleasure to talk to you. It's, it's lovely. It always is. And I look forward to actually giving you a real hug soon. Oh, yes. <laughs> I look <laughs> forward right. to that too. Lots of love. And um, yeah, see you soon, my friend. Namaste. All right. Namaste. Bye bye.